Coming to you pre-recorded from a cramped closet in Las Vegas, Nevada, and a New York City apartment far too close to the street. It's your favorite millennials with too much time on their hands. Welcome to the Red Team Reviews Podcast. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Red Team Reviews Podcast. I, of course, the voice you're currently listening to am TJ Patrick, joined as always by the Johnny Rose to my Usnavi. That doesn't make any sense. Look, I don't care. <laughs> there aren't a lot of- Well, who pays for it, David? You write it off. It's a write-off. I don't know, the government? You don't even know that reference because that's not in the season. Um, like, I just- David? I- I couldn't reference anything from In the Heights because, like, there's no good white people in In the Heights. And then I don't fit anywhere in Shit's Creek, so. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where, like, you know, if it, if this was a, if this, have you seen In the Whites, the people posting high school white school casts of, and recordings of In the Heights? No. Oh, it's bad. They're bad. It's they're they're so terrible. It's like <laughs> it's just white kids. So like if if that was me growing up, I probably might have been cast as Usnavi. I should never. I should never be. But if a white high school ever did that and I was in that white high school, this is probably the case. Um <laughs> Yeah, no. It's it's bad. Um I I it, it's incredibly cringy and people are like the slang just doesn't translate to people and it's like it's hammy and racist it's people should never never do in the heights if you don't have the proper no. demographics to cast um and then on top of that we d- they did it without the proper demographics to cast cuz people in uh, my neighborhood I mean I, would, I don't even know it's quite my neighborhood people who grew up here who are musical theater people are upset at the lack of afro latina representation in the show because dominicans are essentially dominate my like 10 square blocks and that's very a very afro latino community anyway um we'll get into that while we're at it just throw in hamilton if I don't care I don't care. Don't the whole point of Hamilton is to have a mm-hmm. racially diverse cast because we didn't have a racially diverse people making the laws and making the government. So for you to do a white version of Hamilton is literally the opposite of the point of Hamilton. Like like just Yep. Do Dear Evan Hansen if you want. Fuck off. Just but don't Yeah. There's plenty. You have enough. <laughs> Do 1776. There's another musical about the founding fathers for white people. Um, <laughs> like it exists. Um, although, did you notice that uh, when Kevin's on the on the phone with uh, the Stanford yes. um, admissions that the song is "You'll Be Back"? Yes. <laughs> of course, Lynn would fucking do that. I, yeah. Anyway, if you haven't picked up, we're talking about it in the Heights. <laughs> We are talking about In the Heights, and then later we will be talking about uh, Shit's Creek Season 1 for our Reject or Renew, our last Reject or Renew uh, for this season, and then uh, we'll be back at it again in September. And joining us is the lovely Molly Burdick. Uh, she is not here with us currently. We are recording this separately, uh, but she will be on to... There's going to be a hard cut. Yep. <laughs> hard cut. Um. So in a sense, like TJ and I make two halves of a whole legitimate crit- criticism of In the Heights because I know the musical and live in the neighborhood and TJ is Afro-Latino. Uh, so, you know, I guess it works. <laughs> I guess. Uh, my but... 
thing that I have to say at the front, at the right at the top, is that like I was very much uh, raised in a black household, two black households to be more specific. Um, I was not really given a lot of Puerto Rican upbringing. I am very disconnected from that side of my heritage, which I lament to this day. I make a lot of jokes, but I actually also very sincerely, uh, I'm like, I should know Spanish. I should. Like, there are so many reasons to do it, and I haven't done it because I, I'm terrible at learning languages. But, like... I mean, I've I've lived in this neighborhood for five years and, like, and regularly interact with people in stores uh, uh, trying to speak Spanish. I should also know it. So, like, it's not even that. Like, you know... Don't beat yourself up here, bud. Well, no, it's just it's just, it's just a cultural thing. It's a thing of like, you know, because I'm so separated. Like there, re- there was no Latin anything in my upbringing, and it sucks because, you know, the two things I'm most of in terms of my, you know, racial makeup is black, and then right after that is Puerto Rican. <laughs> so it's just like, damn, I don't know anything. Fuck. <laughs> And then yeah, seeing a movie like In the Heights, it just kind of ah, uh, it make it makes me yearn. It's like it's just like I'm just hand outstretched, just like teach me your ways, please. <laughs> um but yeah, so I did have to bring that up up front because yes, we will be obviously talking a lot about the culture that goes into something like In the Heights. Uh Trev can speak more about like uh being in the city, being in the environment. And I really wish I could talk more about like the actual culture of like being Puerto Rican specifically, but unfortunately I can't quite do that. Uh, I did pop really hard. There was one, cause I have the cop captions on when I watch pretty much anything, especially anything new. And there was one mention of Boricua and I was just like, yes, ah, I know that. <laughs> it, ah! There are multiple references to Boricua. <laughs> But there was, like, one specific one that I caught, and I was just like, ha-ha! Ah! <laughs> I understood that reference. <laughs> okay. Well, so so because this is a stage musical, I have seen it, um, and I, I know it pretty well because when I was doing, like, grunt work, I would listen to musicals to keep myself entertained. So I know it very, very well. Um, TJ doesn't, hadn't seen it. Um, and so what I think I would like to do, just for the sake of, of all the people who are musical people listening to this, um, is TJ, can you just go over the plot real quick and some of the characters and I will, I will list after the fact everything they fucking change cause they change so fucking much sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. Uh, I will try my best. Um, I did watch this okay. movie two days ago. Um, so and we all know his brain, uh, you know, doesn't, doesn't retain. <laughs> Plus, you know, it's a two and a half hour movie that like, that's also part of it. It really <laughs> The, the thing is, I'll say this now, they cut six songs and it's the same length as the musical. And so part of me is like, some of the stuff you added great, other times I'm like, you could have just, sometimes you're saying things that happen in a song that you're not using. So why are you saying them? Like, anyway, go on. I mean, it's probably because, you know, they don't trust the attention span of non-musical theater audiences Bullshit. to like, go Bullshit. song to song to song to song to song. I can... I can disprove that. Talk about the plot, damn it. Okay, jeez. <laughs> um, so basically, uh, there's a framing device where Usnavi, our main character, is talking to uh, four children uh, about, you know, 
a past tense event, you know, about about a block that was disappearing called Washington Heights. And um, and then we kind of go back. We flip back and forth between the framing device. And- also, for the record, it's like 60 square blocks. Just by the way, <laughs> Washington Heights is quite big. Go on. Ah. Well, that makes it. Yeah, that makes a little bit more sense. <laughs> um, they're shooting. They're shooting in the 160s and the 200s, people like they're shooting all over the fucking place. Go on. Um, so basically, it's about the story of Usnavi, our main character, who's uh, Dominican Republican and trying to go back to the Dominican Republic. And uh, basically, he wants to go back to be more in touch with his heritage and to inherit his uh, father's old bar. And currently he's working at a bodega and um, there are many other side characters. Uh, I believe it, his name is Benny. Yes. Benny. Yes. Is, is Corey Hawkins character. Okay. I just kind of originally played by Chris. Jackson. I want to know the meta like that. Is that actually a reference to rent? Uh, what by his name being Benny? Uh, no, it's not. I don't think. Okay. I mean, given like Lynn is a huge Jonathan Larson head, um, to the to the point of go back to the previous episode where I talked about Lynn doing tick tick boom and annoying me. Um, <laughs> so so maybe, but like I don't think he's supposed to represent Benny from. Oh no no no! I don't. Yeah, That's I just it. meant that. Like, is he just named after Benny? Because it is a thing of like maybe. Oh yeah, the one like notable black guy is named Benny, just like in Rent. The one notable black guy is named Ben. That's weird. Um, that's why I was like, his name. His what are you talking is about? Benny. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Benny is not. Benny is the least notable black guy in Rent. But I digress. Go on. Oh yeah, because Collins. Okay, yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's one other one. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so there's Benny, uh, there's Nina, who uh, is coming back from college, and she was the smart one growing up, and everyone's got their hopes on her shoulders, and then there's, um, oh, God. Like, it's, I always forget the weirdest shit, because this is a real, like, big thing of, like, why do you forget this? Um, the main love interest name, um... Vanessa. Thank you. I don't know why that was so difficult for me to remember. Uh, yes, Vanessa is also there. Vanessa! Vanessa! Go ahead. <laughs> it's all over TikTok right now. That entire scene is all over TikTok. And uh, the, the joke is that girl, girls will do in the mirror, like, talking to one way, and then they will smear mascara on their li- upper lip and be Usnavi, and then they'll wipe it away at the other side of their hand and be Vanessa again, and then be Usnavi again, and they put the mustache back on. It's actually quite funny. Go on. Um, but yeah, Usnavi is, uh, smitten with Vanessa. They, I think all these characters basically grew up together. So Nina and Benny are a thing. Vanessa and Usnavi are trying to be a thing. We'll touch on that later, I'm sure. Uh, and then there's also, uh, Abuela Claudia, uh, who, you know, basically, uh, had no children, but kind of takes in many of the people on the block as her own. And then I'm not even going to try and list all the names of the women in the salon. Like, <laughs> Daniela the owns salon. the salon. Carla, Daniela owns this, owns the salon. Carla is Stephanie Beatrice and Kuka is uh, the girl from Orange is the New Black. Uh, yes. And essentially it's the story about how Usnavi wants to leave. Vanessa's trying to leave. Nina's trying to come back. 
Benny uh, basically just is in love with Nina. Um, and there's basically, yeah, there's basically like four main plots going on throughout the movie. There's the Nina plot where she's gone to Stanford, but she doesn't feel like she fits in there. And so she's dropping out. Uh, but her father is like basically going broke, trying to support her and wants her to keep going. Uh, there's Usnavi who's trying to leave. Um, there's Nina, sorry, not Nina, uh, Vanessa who, Vanessa and not Usnavi's like love, will they or won't they thing is like an entire thing in and of itself. And then there's also, oh yeah, everyone plays the lottery all the time and somebody actually won for once. Oh shit. That's the other like plot line that's kind of, um... It's like brought up really prevalently and then I it's purposefully purposefully like buried so that you kind of forget about it for a little bit and then they bring it back later. Um and yeah, since it's a musical, I am not going to try and lay this out like a movie uh because the plot is all over the goddamn place and I will be here all day. Uh but essentially what ends up happening is that Claudia unfortunately passes on. It turns out she's the one that won the lottery. She passes on the ticket to Snavi, who uses it to help um Sonny. Fuck. Thank you. Uh, Jesus. <laughs> uh to help Sonny, uh his cousin, who is also uh the only other person that works in the bodega he's uh running. Uh, he uses the money to help him gain uh citizenship in America. And uh, Usnavi then is about to peace out. Vanessa's like, hey, idiot, I'm very clearly, obviously in love with you. And uh, makes this big grand gesture. And then Usnavi decides to stay. Nina ends up going back to college uh, after a lot of back and forth and soul searching and uh, a revelation from Sonny. And... But the thing about the thing I noticed that I just I had to put uh dump here real quick because it's not a huge point to talk about later, is that like Nina's stuff kind of wraps up and then I think there's something like there has to be like half an hour left of the movie, so it's just like oh, oh Nina just kind of oh yeah she's just gone huh, <laughs> um, and I oh boy oh, there's so much I can tell you TJ. I know. <laughs> Figured. There's so much <laughs> that that I'm gonna explain to you that's gonna make you go. Well, then why did they do it that way? I mean, I don't know because I'm coming into I'm coming into this like knowing very little about the source material. So I'm gonna be the third party that is at least that may at least at some points go. Okay, I get why they did it, but it probably wasn't the best decision or yada yada. You know the way that I usually Simon Cowell this shit on the podcast. Um, so Usnavi ends up staying, he and Vanessa, you know, fall in love, uh, assumedly get married, uh, and have at least one kid, uh, yes, have one daughter, uh, and it was one of the four children that Usnavi's been talking to the entire framing device, and, uh, that is it, yeah, 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 that's basically it. Oh, and Daniela moves. That's also another thing. <laughs> to the Bronx, yes. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. 
they went out of their way to create the problem that you're saying where it's like the plot is all over the place because in the musical it's fucking not like in the musical this all takes place over the course of like like 72 hours instead of like the entirety of the summer and there are more songs more characters are fewer actually it's like fewer and more they cut characters who are important in the songs and then they add characters on the periphery and so like here is a breakdown of like how this story is supposed to go there's no frame story in the musical usnavi just speaks directly to the audience there is no like hinting at oh did he end up going to the dominican republic or staying like we don't we don't know what he chose there's no implication as to what he chooses until the end of the show um like there is, you know, it's all the the stage is literally just limited to a literal block. It's all the like the houses and everything inside the house is visual. Usnavi never like talks to a picture of his parents. That's a good addition. Um, then uh, let's see here. I'm just scrolling through my notes. Uh, Kuka is not the musical. The third character in the salon. Um, there's no there's no undocumented subplot with Sunny in the musical. Um, because it's also worth noting that this musical came out on Broadway in 2008 and he had been working on it for years prior to that. And so it has been like 13 years since a lot of the topics and how they cover them in the original musical have changed. And so while I like that Sonny has, is undocumented and that his father does have some very clear, like drug abuse problems, which are actual contemporary issues of the neighborhood, they have to take a whole chunk of stuff out of the musical to make that work. Uh, and to, in order to have that subplot, um, Usnavi does not have the money to buy his father's bar, um, in the musical there, there's only the implication that there might've been a bar. Um, Vanessa is not a fashion designer in the musical. She just kind of wants to be downtown and be a performer. Um, Nina doesn't come home necessarily because of racism or because of like not fitting in. She comes home because all the pressure is on her to succeed and she's not succeeding. She's having a hard time with her studies and, also, her mom's not dead. Camilla is a huge fucking character in the dynamic between Nina and her father and their whole problem. Also, Nina's father doesn't like Benny, even though he employs him. And so they're not exes in the in the musical. They just like each other and they've never really experienced that. So there's this whole conflict where, oh, uh, my dad doesn't like you, but I like you. But also, I'm the reason you lost your job. And so we're going to have this interesting, like, kind of, conflict between us where I really like being around you and you welcome me home even though I feel disappointed in myself and have all these burdens and so you're going to help me overcome that and we're also going to fix my relationship with my dad oh boy the Vanessa in this movie is way too mean and she also in the musical is strictly in denial of her feelings for Usnavi that's why the line in Carnival del Barrio is when people are like haven't you noticed you get all your coffee for free is her going oh shit I actually love this guy and not just, oh, we went on a date. It was weird. And, you know, he's my friend. Um, you know, there's so much that they add to that, that beforehand that doesn't result in the payoff. Um, there's an entire thing in same again in Carnival de Barrio where they joke about Nina and Benny going for a role in the hay. It's because in the musical right after intermission, it shows that they slept together that night during the blackout for the first time ever. 
So that's a whole extra layer of things. And that song is about sunrise. And their final song together is about when the sun goes down. So there's themes there. Abuela Claudia dies later, not during the blackout. And Usnavi knows she has the lottery ticket right after intermission. So he is planning on leaving based on that and giving part of the money to Sonny. And that's why they have the whole celebration. And then she dies. And also, instead of saying all this heartfelt things about Abuela Claudia to his frame narrative, he says it to his people at her funeral which is so much more meaningful. Oh my God, there's so many things, so many things. And so, and at the end, Vanessa has nothing to do quite with the end. She confesses her love to him over the bottle of champagne. And then they just kind of like go deal with it in their own way. Graffiti Pete is bigger in the story, not by inspiring Vanessa, but he does a mural of Claudia on his bodega grate overnight. And that's what makes Usnavi go, fuck, I can't. I can't leave. I got to carry on what Claudia was doing in this neighborhood. Like, that's that's my role. That's my purpose. It's not to go back. And I'll go back at some point. But I should stay here. And that's a whole thing where it's like, I don't know why you cut that in favor of fucking Vanessa. Like, who's been a shithead for the most of the movie. Like, you could have at least put Claudia in the mural he does inside the store. Like, that didn't have to leave. I was so upset by that. And so, like, there are some things where I'm like, I like that Nina is on Sonny's side to, like, get documented and be at protests, because they do talk about that in the original. Um, but she doesn't need that motivation of, I'm going to be a public defender, or I'm going to be, a, a you know, an immigration lawyer to get her to go back to school. She just goes back to school because she learns that it's not all on her and that her family loves her regardless. Like, that's a whole thing that her mother brings to the conversation. She gets, her mom cuts through all the bullshit with her father and is like, she has a song called Enough where she's like, oh my God, enough. You two stop fighting, deal with this now. Actually talk to each other, tell her you love her and you're going to support her no matter what, no matter what it does to us. And you tell him that he's putting too much pressure on you and deal with it. And it's like, you cut so many great things like that from the musical that just, I'm like, why? Why did you make it loosely connected stories that kind of overlap with each other? Because people know each other. They could have directly fed into one another. Like the whole club scene, like Benny and Usnavi's frustrations play off each other because Benny's frustrated about losing his job because of the girl he likes. And Usnavi doesn't know how to go on the date and is trying to make this work. And then a blackout happens and there's all this conflict that's being piled up. And suddenly Kevin, the uh, Nina's father, is like, fuck, I'm fighting with my daughter and now I can't find her or my wife in this blackout. And so like, there's so many things that I'm just like, you removed stakes for for reasons I don't understand. So anyway, does any of that make sense? A lot of it does actually. Um, I don't agree with all of it, but I, at least in most of it, when you were saying it to me, I was like, okay, unfortunately... I do get why some of the things were taken out. Chief among them, the fact that, yeah, uh, Nina's mom isn't actually dead is a huge change, yes. But I also, cynically, this isn't something that I necessarily agree with doing, but I cynically could see why somebody would do it because she could be seen as an instant fix to the solution and by getting rid of her, the solution has to now resolve itself more difficultly and maybe a bit more organically 
instead of just somebody. But it really doesn't. I again, I'm like, and I'm also, not saying I necessarily agree. Kevin has a song. He has a whole song where he's like, "I won't be the reason my family doesn't succeed." He talks about his whole past in in Dominican Republic where his father looked at him because he had bigger dreams than being a farmer and looked at him as like you're useless and so he has all this baggage that he's bringing into the conversation and they cut that song and I'm just like why it's it's one of the shortest songs in the whole thing it's not for time is it because what's his face doesn't sing because I feel like he sings I mean it could just be for streamlining um it but it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't make it shorter again <laughs> it no shorter is not the same thing as streamlining streamlining is that you know because again in a film environment we're not 100% used to and now a song so you have to kind of be careful about when and how you do songs because they could be seen as not so much halting the m- momentum of the movie but changing the momentum of the movie to now, like, even if a plot is furthered by a song, it's still, like, you do have to now change what you're expecting from a movie, and you're now listening to a song. So it's, like, that little bit of a shift... Maybe. ...can sometimes... And again, I don't even necessarily 100% agree with it. If you put me in charge of adapting something like In the Heights or Little Shop of Horrors or Les Miserables, you know you know, hopefully something I'm way more, you know, familiar with than in the Heights. But like, I could see myself potentially cutting a song or two or maybe even three or four because, yeah, sometimes it's like, okay, we could have a song here or we could just have a straight, straight up dialogue that does the same thing. And sometimes that's cleaner. I It's debatable whether it's cleaner in this specific case with Kevin. I will... Yeah, I'm not going to really stick my I, neck out for that. I can tell you, yeah, I can tell you for a fact it's it's actually not. That's part of one of my big frustrations with the show is that, like, Claudia and Nina have this whole conversation where she's like, I have this past and you should take that as perspective. And Nina's like, I have this problem that I also just sang about and that I'm about to sing about in a song. The first time we see Nina is when she sings her song Breathe, which is one of the most important songs in the entire musical. Um, and it hits me every damn time, um, because anybody who, anybody who has like sort of expectations of, of success from people in your past knows that feeling. Um, Lynn has said like, Hey, I'm not Usnavi. I'm Nina. When he comes from like a writing perspective on this, on this musical. Um, so it's like things like that, where I'm like, you just, you said it and now you're going to sing about it. But the whole point of you singing about it is to bring it into the to the to the ethos of the musical because it's an emotional topic that we then have to follow you through. Yeah. Um there were other things. Oh yeah, I okay, I do agree with you that like I with even without knowing knowing the original source material, I did kind of mentally note that like okay, for some reason Vanessa seems very aggressive sometimes. Um she's almost gothic compared to everybody else she's always looking out into the distance like oh like in during 96,000 when she's like slowly walking into the pool in her black uh bikini and her face is just dead eyes straight forward I'm like why are you doing this to her she's not an unfun person well being goth doesn't mean unfun but 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 my point being like she her her tone maybe it's like the the choice of character or maybe how they rewrote her she is so like 
everyone here will will die someday. Like, and I'm just like, hi, you're not on fun. You just have other motivations and you're upset. Like, that's not the same thing. <laughs> but I mean, I think it's also, I I see what you're saying in that, like, doing this to Vanessa seems odd. But I will also say that, like, it's also kind of valid to react to setbacks and obstacles differently in the set of, like, some people, like, I think it was in that uh, Carnival musical number where it's like you, you're you encountering how different people will react to different setbacks. And some people are like, hey, we're not going to be fucking sad. We're going to celebrate and we're going to get over it. And then some people are like, no, we have a reason to be sad. Let us actually be fucking sad. This is this is rough. And so I kind of like while I get the whole like making Vanessa kind of overly like that is probably yeah it's it's probably a little hiccup in the ad- adaptation but i think just having a little bit of that would have still been would have still been okay um though i do I, I get that but they also created that problem for themselves because the yeah the lines that they that her and sunny sing of we are powerless we are powerless are themes that got taken out of the blackout song because instead of instead of Sonny and Pete giving people fireworks to like make everybody happy, they have to defend the shop from looters in the blackout. Like that's a, that's a factor. So Sonny looking at this going like, there's a lot of oppression. I'm learning about this as a young adult and I'm passionate about it. And I just had to stop a bunch of people from fucking looting my store. And you're out here pretending like all we have is our culture. And that's what we should be celebrating without fixing the problem. Like, and then Vanessa also like, getting turned down for her her opportunities like they took that away by making changes they didn't have to well, make no, in the I previous song. I 1000% song. appreciate the not having looters thing there. I wouldn't have liked I it. Get that. I wouldn't have wanted it. So that part I'm like okay, I absolutely understand why they did that. I do understand though that it kind of it alters Sunny's progression to getting to that point though. Um, right. Like they, they, like essentially they, they, because they had to quote unquote had to incorporate an undocumented story, they had to redirect pretty much everything Sonny goes through in the musical into this moment, which isn't connected to a song because it's not in the original. So like, it's not connected to any of those emotional moments. It is a hundred percent in that last 30 minutes that we get all that information and all that resolution on Sonny. Oh, also I remember what I was going to say. I'm fine with Nina's story not being as big as like having all this different stuff going on because then Nina starts fighting with Usnavi about like who's actually the main character of the movie um so some things Oh yeah I will definitely say yeah I will definitely say that they definitely and clearly it's probably part of casting it's part of image like yeah they definitely made Usnavi even though he's like the narrator and like the the compass in the musical, he's Nina is the main character in the musical in many ways. So like, yeah, making that flip flop, I guess it makes sense. Yeah, and in that line of thought, thought I do kind of get, and also on a separate note, I do also kind of appreciate the not having the dad not want her to date the black guy thing. I just don't think we need it in 2021. That's a me thing. Like, do I, I kind of like, it's less that he's black. I mean, when you have him not like him and he's the only 
like notable black character. It's kind no, of no, yeah, I get that. But I kind but it of, also just it, it's like so many things removed. Yeah, but I I kind of like the nuance and the kind of shade of gray when Benny goes back and then Kevin sees him there and then they have to kind of like put aside their things. Maybe if they had capitalized on that moment a little bit and, you know, had a scene with Benny and Kevin where, you know, they have a little bit of an understanding or a heart to heart or whatever, it could have been built upon. But again, it's a, it's the thing of like, I see why they didn't do it because again, the main thing is Usnavi. So you can kind of, I guess, I guess in one way it's like just even having, yeah, any sort of notion of like, even them just in the workplace having some sort of contention because then when they work together at the dispatch during the blackout, it's that much more meaningful Yeah, that they like, we're putting this aside because this is what's important to us. And I mean, uh, I was going to say like, it could, it could just be that, you know, he doesn't want his daughter distracted. And so he would have said like, no to basically anybody until Benny like proves himself or whatever, or he gets to truly understand Benny a little bit better after the blackout. But then it goes right back to the, yeah, but Benny's like the one notable black guy. If the dad does have an issue with Benny, it will always be red. Like that's a part of it. So it's just difficult. But then it goes right back to the issue we stated at the beginning then you just kind of need more Afro-Latino people then mm-hmm. to avoid yep. that. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it was kind of jarring to have Daphne Rubin Vega talking about, like, Taino and, like, slave ships and stuff like that. And I'm like, uh, you're actually, she's like, she's Panamanian. And so it's like, you know, there's a lot of different stuff with that. Not to mention, like, like Daphne Rubin Vega, like, I feel bad. She She, like, ruined her voice. She was the original Mimi in Rent. Um, who plays uh, Daniela hmm. before Rosario Dawson. So like she really did a number on her voice because because that that role requires a little bit more. Um, so that that kind of sucked. Um, yeah. Any other thoughts before before I feel like I feel like, you know, any other thoughts you have before I'm just going to I could just list off like funny things I noticed um, um, and interesting thing and interesting tidbits like. I do I do get the change I like I simultaneously get why the change was made to the reason Nusnavi says and I also get your frustration with the reason Nusnavi says and then it's just because again it's them kind of making their own problem where if you really nail the chemistry between Usnavi and Vanessa for so much of the movie, you earn not having to really nail on the head that, you know, she's one of the main reasons that he stays. But I think because that connection isn't quite as quite nailed as well throughout the movie and they kind of stumble a bit and they never quite get that. They never quite earn that. Will they, won't they? Like, you really have to have Vanessa be a part of that final, like, you need to stay. And she has two of them, which, again, is just, like, yeah, it it speaks to the fact that, like, this romance really couldn't justify that through just the rest of the story. You have to have two separate moments where Vanessa's like, I love you, you idiot, please stay, 
to finally get through. I felt kind of the opposite where it's like the way Vanessa walks around, like she has her attitude and whatnot, but there's also a degree where it's like, maybe it's just because Anthony Ramos is cooler than Lin-Manuel Miranda. There were plenty of moments where I was like, you guys are kind of already dating. Like the way you interact with each other is kind of like you're already dating. This is not a long shot for Usnavi to be dating you. It's really not. Um, and so like to have the the conversation they have on the steps where they have like a, a dialogue heart to heart, not in the, not in the musical after Abuela Claudia dies. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and so like there's the, like all of their resolution happens between Carnival de Barrio and uh, the champagne scene. Um, so like, yeah, there's a there's a lot where it's like they they had certain things clearly that they had to insert into the story to make it contemporary or to avoid certain demo- certain issues. But by doing that, they started to create other problems that they then had to like duct tape together, which I think could have potentially just, I, I, I it's almost like the, the choices that they made to resolve certain problems they were having just kind of created more problems, um, which was disappointing. I don't think this is a bad adaptation all in all, but knowing that the musical like does so many other things so well, it was slightly disappointing in that manner. Like that scene on the steps is almost like shooting themselves in the foot because when it didn't just end with them getting together, I was like, wait a minute. So what happens when this scene ends in like real life? Like Usnavi pours his soul out to her. She's clearly moved. And then what? They just say deuces and then walk away. Like, like, I feel like this is the moment. This is the moment where they should get together. And you actually did a good job with the scene movie. So I don't know why they don't. And then it's a combination of just like, of just like, you know, I feel like Vanessa wants Usnavi to make a move but then she clearly has feelings for him. So why doesn't she? And then she does. And then she wants Usnavi to kind of be a different person than he's displayed. He very clearly is like, yeah, if Usnavi is this awkward and you guys have known each other most, or if not all of your entire lives, and he's still like this. I don't know what changes when you take him to like a club. Right. Like, he's still going to be that guy. So you trying to make him jealous or like challenging him to like, you know, get up to your level is not quite going to (laughs) work. And it, when it doesn't, it's just, but he, she really doesn't even try to make him jealous. She just is like, well, I'm at the club. I'm going to go have fun. If you're going to be awkward. Well, yeah, it's just that the film, like the film and the music go out of their way to go. Like she's trying to make you jealous. So it's just like, I just have that to play off of, of like, all right, I guess that's what's happening. Um, <laughs> because it's like one of my peeves, and this isn't an in the heights thing. This is just a writing thing. One of my peeves is when two people obviously are going to get together and they both like each other and then they just don't do it. And the reasoning for why they don't do it is weak as fuck. And it's just like, okay, I mean, I need you like... I'm fine with them not getting together. I'm fine with you de- delaying that until the end of the story. But you got to give me like an actual like thing that is legitimately keeping them together. Like when you said, you know, the whole thing with 
Nina and Benny in the musical, that's an actual reason for them to not be, you know, together. It's an actual thing keeping them apart. So I'm assuming in the musical it is very cathartic when they actually do get together. That's the key. Yep. Here, it's just Usnavi being awkward and Vanessa being, like, impatient with his awkwardness. But then they also show they can have a scene where they just talk to each other very, very openly. And then that's not the scene that fixes everything. So it's like, you're just keeping these two people together uh, apart because it's too early from the, for them to get together. Correct. And it's very transparent and it takes me out and it makes me not like the story as much. Um, so that's not an in the Heights thing as much as it is like a writing convention that I don't like. And then, uh, so did you like the music? Oh, well, I mean, yeah. Um, I would imagine that if I weren't thirsty for my own culture and if I wasn't like watching with captions on, I could see why it might be a little confusing because there's a ton of Spanish that isn't like explained in, in English or Spanglish that often. Uh, so I could see why some people would be like, I like the music, but I kind of wish I knew more intimately what all of the words they were saying were meaning. Um, but again, I had captions on and there were still times where like, um, like the patience and faith song that I'm not going to try and say and then screw up in Spanish because I care too much. <laughs> Paciencia y fe. It's but not like, that. it's really not hard, <laughs> but I, 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 I just don't want to get it wrong, but yeah, it's a thing of like, I don't know. Do they say that in English? Like in the song? I don't think I ever no. caught it. So no, I piece together like later. I'm like, Oh, that's what it means. But it's like during the entire song, I don't know what it means. So it's like, Oh no. <laughs> like I want to, I want to engage in a way. That's when a playbill comes in handy. Yeah. Cause you can go, Oh, what song are we on? Um, that song is also in the first act in, in this one. It's not like as she's dying. Um, I will say that, like, again, because they're, like, scrambling up so much, the music is actually doing more work than it than it does in, like, the original. Oh, I'm sure. Like, there is so much more that, like, it works on the same level as the dialogue and the music in the original musical that, like, the music just jettisons you from, okay, cool, this is kind of a scene, oh, in the, in the movie. And I'm like, mm, that's fine. That happens with a lot of musicals on and off stage. But, like... You made a problem, and now you, you're fixing it, just letting the music kind of be itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, various notes. Um, well, first of all, last thing before I do, like, funny notes. Um, the, I do want to, like, make a note. It's like, this movie, like, visually is beautiful. Oh, yeah. Like, the ensemble is the best part of the musical because of Paciencia y Fe with all the white linens on the subway car and transferring from place to place and the choreography with the lights shining down. Um, they definitely filmed that in Chamber Street, um, uh, which is like a very abandoned uh, station in New York. Um, 
to get the tone right. And then the colors in the tunnel on the way out and her. And that's the that's actually the original actress who played her on Broadway, too, um, who played Abuela Claudia. Um, and so no one else can do that part but her. But yeah, that whole storytelling through all that is is beautiful. I think that like when Usnavi's looking out the bodega window in the opening and the dancers are just reflected, beautiful choice. The entire scene at the pool, which is a great change of scenery. Um, I'd say that's like one of the better improvements of choosing not to just set it on the block um, was beautiful. Them walking on the side of the building on 177th and Pinehurst um, is gorgeous. The scene in J Hood Wright Park uh, when Benny is convincing Nina that it's great to be back is is fantastic. Um, I live. I, I'm just I'm just happy because I live like three blocks from these places. It's fun, um, but like I think that the musical is visually great like the choreography and like there's not too it's not like too overcrowded with like background dancers but it's like just enough and like the scenes that need to be intimate are intimate and um i I think it's shot very very well like as a as from a filmmaking standpoint i think it's actually very good in that remark in regard right i agree um but yeah just to wrap this up so we can get to the next segment um lynn being uh miguel the piragua guy who's just like a fun side character is obvious when i heard they were making this i was like so lynn's gonna be him right great awesome um but his beard is so fake his beard is so fucking fake there's no way that's really lynn manuel miranda's beard um let's see um i also just like i kind of wish there were stronger singers in a lot of this mostly just because i know the original like chris jackson plays benny who if you don't know chris jackson he plays washington in hamilton um, and Karen Olivo, who's now, who was in Moulin Rouge just recently plays Vanessa and they are such stronger singers than the people they end up casting. And so it makes me wonder like, okay, did you go for Hollywood or did you go for Broadway? Cause Hori, I don't know Corey Hawkins as a Broadway person. Um, and I don't, I actually don't know the name of Vanessa's actor off the top of my head either. Um, and so I'm like, mm, you probably could have found people who have played these roles on Broadway or played these roles in tours recently, who probably could have sung these a little bit better. Um, but yeah, um, did it, did you feel like Vanessa's voice was not synced with her acting? Um, it was never notable to me. It was, there were plenty of moments where I was like, the music is really big right here and your mouth is like barely open. And so it's like, there's something in your acting choices right now with the dubbing that's like not working for me and it's taking me out of it. Um, maybe that's me being more of a theatery person. Um, I think it's hilarious that Chris Jackson is the Mr. Softy guy opposite Lin-Manuel Miranda doing Piragua. I thought that that was hilarious. Um, I like that Patrick Page, who's in Hadestown right now, is the white guy who's uh, buying off everything. I thought that was a nice little Broadway nod. Um, oh, and also, like, when they z- do that close-up shot of Abuela cooking before everybody comes over for that dinner, uh, and they have the shots of the spices, those are the exact brands of spices that they offer in all of our stores here in the heights and so i just have to applaud that detail thank you very much for putting those in and making me go oh hey i have those exact same ones in my spice cabinet that's really nice um uh, i really liked in the moment in breathe when uh when the background characters are saying like oh that's our nina she's our she's our star She's our one hope. And it's just everyone staring at her thematically. I'm like, mm, good choice for one of the most emotionally important songs in the entire musical. And likewise, getting to see her mirrored throughout the musical as this other little girl that she's kind of like subconsciously following. Um, I really liked that. The idea of like showing 
what she was like in an indirect way. It's like, this could just be any other little girl, but it's paralleling her. Um, that's not something you'd really see in the musical. You'd probably just see her singing on stage emotionally. But that was a really good use of like the the medium, the cine- Yeah, the medium. Um, so like in some ways, after all the shit that I've heaped on this, there are plenty of moments where I'm like, yes, you actually did really great in that kind of stuff. Or like the stuff in the salon when they're doing uh, No Me Diga. Uh, when the mannequin heads here, she dropped out and they all turn away um, and everyone's doing that synchronized like head bobbing. I'm like, yes, this is great use of the medium in do, essentially doing the best things that a movie musical can do. So, yeah, that's basically it. Yeah. One thing I did need to just go out of my way. Like if you're trying to cut stuff, though, for a film adaptation, I do I'm sorry if this is sacrilege, but I do kind of have to go, okay, so some things are cut, but uh, the Piragua guy is still here and does nothing? What's that about? He has two songs. His song is split in half. His song is split in half in the musical where he's seen in the first act and seen in the second act. And his whole thing is the theme of we're all scraping by. And he is literally an ice scraper for, like, you know, shade dice. Um, And that's what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a palate cleanse amongst all the other stuff. So, so to only have him once and then just throw it the rest away, especially when it's Lynn's fucking musical and he's playing him. I was like, you could have given us that break right, right after Claudia dies of, of his second song. Like that's, that makes more sense. I, I don't know. I look at that as an editor, an editor for like, again, peeking behind the curtain of like, I had to do some big edits for this episode specifically because this is the last thing recording and the other segment we already recorded and it's now edited like as an editor that is used to like well this whole section now has to go I am kind of looking at this two and a half hour runtime and all the things that could have been in it that weren't and I'm like this seems like an obvious thing to go because this character doesn't like I would even appreciate it if like the Piriagua guy has something to do with why he was Navi stays just like some justification of like why which if you're gonna change everything else why not right (laughs) (laughs) but I mean that's oh all right I mean I'm not never opposed to saying Lynn so it's like all right fine but that song does happen and it's like and now back to our uh, originally scheduled programming. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I'm like, well, guys, I think that's the thing that right there, that's what you need to cut. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a lot. I guess my, my last point being, if you're going to, like, you, you spend a lot of time trying to add things to it and then shuffling to make it work, when I think you could have presented most of the original and I don't think people would have problems of like, oh, well, no one was undocumented or, oh, well, why does, you know, why does Nina go back to college? Just ran-? like nobody had those problems with the original. Like there they answered a lot of questions that no one was asking. And so, like, I think people would have been satisfied had you done pretty much the original. And that's what kind of frustrates it is that like, OK, cool. You you did some stuff. You added some new conflicts and updated some things. But. Well, I actually, I really, the cost of a lot of stuff. I actually really do like the, just the addition and acknowledgement of stuff like, you know, the dreamers and documentation and Mm -hmm. the fact that like, yeah, 
I think, honestly, it just, I think it was a thing of not necessarily giving Nina an excuse to go back, but it was like. It's like it was sitting right there, and so they're like, well, I might as well use it. It's like we have an opportunity to, like, make a slightly bigger, more current statement of, like, yeah, if you want to see change, you can be the change. If Nina is looking for, you know, some reason to, you know, go back and to stay and to keep on this very difficult path, and she's also, you know, homesick and, like, missing her block and you know, feeling like she's possibly leaving her block behind. This is a nice, easy, organic way to marry those two things and have it be slightly a bit more cathartic for some people and also just to make a bit, you know, more sense. Um, So I kind of... I like that addition, but I also sympathize with, like, I don't think the addition should come at the cost of like other right. potential like subtractions. Mm-hmm. And yeah, uh just, you know, if people <laughs> if people care, you know, breathe alabanza blackout and, you know, just the phrase the hydrants are open. Uh me me you know, even though I'm not born and raised here, even just living here for 5 years like actually mean a lot to me. So I just wanted to point those out. Um, seen many a hydrant open and I always appreciate it. So, yeah, all in all, uh, I did enjoy the movie. Um, was it perfect? No, but I thought the ending was cathartic. I thought the visuals were, uh, very well done. A lot of the songs were very, you know, catchy in that Lin-Manuel Miranda way that we're now pretty much used to. Um, a lot of good wordplay. Uh, it's nice to just see a musical be a musical and not feel the need to get, like, too, like, you know, gritty and realistic. Like, no, there are people dancing in the fucking street. Like, <laughs> um, the colors are really nice. Um, the ideas for a lot of more abstract versions of scenes are much appreciated because, yeah, you're a film. You can do more abstract things, so you should. Um. So yeah, that's all. We're probably gonna go watch it again. <laughs> cool. So hard cut. Um, <laughs> as we slowly descend into the chaos and and piece together these episodes bit by bit. Uh, it's time to get to the the you know the flan of the meal, the cafe tropical of the of the situation. I don't, I don't think Molly likes that I called her part flan. I, um, <laughs> listen, there's no, I have no problem with flan, flan, what have you. I just don't, wouldn't call this that. Personally. I don't know. It's definitely, is it caviar? Are we at the caviar portion? I we're talking about Schitt's Creek. Chocolate we're doing cake. Renew is Schitt's Creek. Schitt's Creek is the best television show chocolate on cake? the television. It's well, the okay, chocolate, hold on, hold on. As the resident, ganache cake. As the resident <laughs> Latino, I have to take umbrage with the fat flan is good i don't know why we're dissing flan we're, we're not dissing flan I, I wasn't dissing flan you weren't i was i all right well okay so here's the thing i haven't had flan in many years because i am a vegan but back in the day i was too young to appreciate it and now i could actually probably go for some flan so i apologize to flan see see it it works because we just covered it in the heights so this is this is the dessert it's flan 
Uh, so I anyway, understand. We're at, we're at rejecting a new segment. <laughs> we're at our rejecting also... a new segment. It's funny because we're piecing it together and we haven't covered it yet when we record this. Yeah, I actually uh-huh. have not seen In the Heights at the time of recording yet. So there's no I literally reference. it's just being Latino. No, no, no. But I'm just saying I'm just saying like I have no idea what energy I'm about to we're about to cut away from me on. <laughs> <laughs> so that's true. We may have that's a true. hard cut. So if this is a <laughs> hard change. <laughs> like I said, hard turn. So, yeah, we're back at Reject or Renew. Um, if you haven't picked up on the fact, uh, Molly's back. Molly has been on the show twice now. This is her third appearance. Here um, I am. From, you know, from the journalist and pod and prejudice. In case this is the first time anybody is ever listening to one of your episodes, do you want to tell them about you and what you do? Sure. So I am one of the co-hosts of Pod and Prejudice, a Jane Austen deep dive podcast where the the uh, the shtick, if you will, is that I've never read any Jane Austen and my co-host is an Austen super fan. And currently we're in season two reading Sense and Sensibility. A phenomenal book that I cannot recommend enough. I've, I have no idea what's happening, basically. Um, but it's so She's fun. She's shipping all the wrong people. I really, really am. <laughs> but yeah, and the reason the reason you're here is A, because like you are a Schitt's Creek mega fan. Uh, you have the lightning bolt sweater. I have not only the lightning bolt sweater, but also the nonchalance sweater. And, I, and when COVID came around, you were posting ew COVID memes as well. Um, yes. And also, you couldn't make it to our to our Pride episode, which we invited you to. So I was like, hey, come do this one. Um, and I was like, TJ, deal with it. We have a guest. Um, as so, I usually have to. So uh, if you haven't ever uh, listened to a Reject or Renew episode, this is the segment in which we take... Uh, individual seasons of shows uh, that are selected randomly from a pool of 60 shows, um, as well as voted on by our fans to uh, try to get their favorites in. And we decide whether or not we want to keep watching the show. So TJ, do you want to go into the exact rules and regulations we have for this end of month segment? Sure. Uh, At the end of every month, once we're done with said review, we do a draft, which we will get to eventually. But the winner of last month's draft was Schitt's Creek. So how this works is that we will very quickly uh, go through the episode guide, which is to say one at a time, we will give a quick uh, summary of what happened in the episode. Then the others will give their take very briefly on what they thought of the episode, followed by the person that gave said summary. And then we will trade off like that. Usually it's just me and Trev, so it's very ping pong back and forth since we have a third much like we did with the mandalorian although not as long as the mandalorian uh we will go in a bit of a circle (laughs) so travis first i'm second molly is third when we get to that we'll get to it once we're done with the episode guide we will then cover uh our most valuable character most uh least valuable character and our most and least sorry our highest and lowest rated episodes of the season. And then we will give our general notes. If we do not, you know, just kind of give our general notes throughout the episode guide, as sometimes we have done in the past. Uh, Afterwards, me and Trev will uh, give our official reject or renew uh, declaration. Molly can also give a reject or renew declaration, but we don't count her vote. Um, (laughs) Insert very lazy joke about, elections um 
So yeah, it's like and then she's afterward... from New York and we're from Wyoming. <laughs> nice. And uh, when we're done with that, we will do a draft for the next show. And this also note that if one of us says renew, we have to renew. We both have to reject for it to get off the list. The other one uh, will be very grumpy about it. Um, that's happened. <laughs> My, uh, majority rules, minority rights. <laughs> uh, and fun fact, I think there was one of the, I think the, it might be the only time we've had a split decision on Reject or Renew was with Friends, our first one. And that was yeah. just from me being shitty to Friends because fuck Friends. Uh, <laughs> as somebody who used to be a mega fan and watched all 10 seasons, I can be shitty to Friends. I'm allowed. Uh, <laughs> and um, we're going to do our draft and we're going to cover why the draft is a, just a little bit different this time around a little bit later on once we get to there and once it's poignant so, uh, but now we have Shit's Creek Season 1 to deal with a pop original series we start off the series with episode 1 our cup runneth over after losing everything the roses are forced to move to their only remaining asset the town of Shit's Creek which I'll add on to the to the description uh, that David or that uh, that uh, Johnny Rose, the dad played by Eugene Levy, uh, bought for his son in real life and in the show, David Rose, uh, for a birthday joke, bought a town for a birthday joke. <laughs> First reactions. Phenomenal. Iconic. Amazing. <laughs> it's a great premise, regardless of what you think of, of everything else that we're going to talk about. Like, all in all, you got to admit, it's a pretty good premise. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, in watching this this first episode, it's like, you're kind of like, why am I watching this show about these incredibly rich white people trying to, like, be like normal people? But they make you immediately, the, the comedy style of this first episode, you're like, yeah, I kind of want to find out. TJ, are you, are you keeping quiet for later? <laughs> I am keeping quiet for a very specific reason. Um, oh, uh, no. <laughs> no, here's the thing. I definitely... I did my rewatch. I'm just just saying this up top. I did my rewatch very much like knowing you after having done this podcast for 40 episodes, um, like knowing you and understand, like trying to watch it both from my eyes and your eyes at the same time. So like, don't feel like you have to hold back. Like I, every time I was watching through your eyes, I was going, no, I get, I get where he would be if he said that. So like, don't, you don't have to hold back. You don't have to feel like everyone's against you in this one. Like if you didn't like it, say it and like it. Sometimes foreshadowing is relatively obvious. I wrote dull, boring, dead on arrival. <laughs> wow, I wouldn't go that far. Like, no, I wasn't into it at first, but like, wouldn't have gone that far. <laughs> well, I think we have our first like real challenge with this show because mm -hmm. like in the past, maybe we have like said some inkling of like, well, you got to get it started. Um, which is like kryptonite for many people. Um, uh, and I was very much the same way. I absorbed this the same way I absorbed Parks and Rec, where it was like osmosis of later seasons drew me to the first season. Um, because yeah, when I first tried to watch it, I was like, mm, I don't know if I want to keep this going. Um, but, and so like, I totally get that. I just, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, I, I know where it goes. So like, I can't sit here and pretend that like, they just made a left turn and suddenly were successful. Like, no, they started putting the seeds together now yeah. to where it will become something that's better. Like when you're watching it for a second time, knowing the characters and knowing their arc, it does make it more enjoyable. So 
for me now, it's iconic, etc. For me watching it the first time, I was like, I don't know why everyone's talking so much about this. Yeah, and all that's all that. And that doesn't help our criticism, obviously. Yeah, right. Um, so second second episode. All right, uh, episode two, the drip. When the family, oh uh, wait, no, hold, sorry, sorry, sorry. I started reading a different thing. Uh, Johnny searches for permission from the mayor to sell the town. Meanwhile, David and Alexis enjoy a night out with the locals. Whether it's whether you think it's funny or not, this is an iconic episode. Oh yeah, this is the episode that was make or break for many people. I love this episode. Not necessarily. I love the drip portion of it, but I also think that this is the first episode where we really get to know Stevie a little bit better because we get to have Alexis and David go to that party with her. Um, and Stevie's my favorite character. So. Uh, my note on this episode was uh, my regards to Bob Cratchit is the first good line of the show for me. That was the first <laughs> joke where I was just like, okay. <laughs> yes, because he's wearing his nightcap. We get a few iconic things, like when they're at the dinner with Roland and Jocelyn, when when he's like, slap me, slap me, and she does the slaps. Um, that's iconic. And then uh, Alexis's line, love that journey for me. That is an yes. iconic line in pop culture now. Because of this show, Alexis says so many things like that. I will point out several moments where it's like, we're going to see a lot more of that um, in the show. Um, but yeah, just beyond that, like, I would say this is definitely like, even though we still have like some tapering to do, this is the peak of their assholery in all regards. Like this is this is their meanest episode, in my opinion. Yes. Which is why yeah. it's like uphill battle, uphill battle for everyone. Because yeah. they are just. Is it? Uh, for most of them. I think David is the only one who doesn't have like quite as mean of a perspective in this episode. But I think that like I think this is the first episode where it's highlighted because they're in such stark contrast to everybody else. Like it's this is the episode where they're asking the audience to be like, are you going to stay with us for our growth? Because, well, first of all, Roland's being an ass, but also Johnny's being an ass and Moira is being condescending and and Alexis is just using everybody for Instagram. And so David and Stevie are kind of the only ones who are having like a legitimate like back and forth of like, are we going to figure this out? Are we going to like be stable with this? Um, which they kind of start to land in at the end of the episode. But anyway, uh, that's all I have on that episode. So that means it's me. <laughs> Three. Don't worry, it's his sister. Ooh, what a good title name. X episode title. Johnny tries to have a potentially offensive sign removed. David is faced with the terrifying task of searching for a new job. DJ. Uh, my note, <laughs> my note here is, uh, you could probably track my journey with this season throughout these comments, uh, is at least Dan Levy is having fun. Yeah. <laughs> he's having such a good time. You can always tell that he's yeah. having a great time. <laughs> but also I would say that like this, this to me is the beginning of like, kind of showing that Johnny is the heart of the family and that like he's he's the one who despite like his hangups about the town and his fears of being stuck there is actually trying to like make things go well for everyone involved including the people who are opposing him. Mm-hmm. Um Catherine O'Hara is amazing and the fact that they probably just let her stand in a, a room full of teenagers and riff um during the entire scene at Jocelyn's school. Um I love Catherine O'Hara. I think every I think everything about this character that she designed is inspired and hilarious. Yeah. Um, so, episode four, Bad Parents. Johnny and Moira attempt to get to know their children, and Alexis believes that Mutt is having an affair with the mayor's wife. 
forgot about that plot line. Woo. Woo. Um, yes, this episode for me is where it starts to kind of where their growth kind of starts because it's like they know yes. that they are bad parents and they kind of want to change it. So like, but right now they're not good parents. And and I think that it's a little bit of a seed planted for them becoming the amazing parents that they end up being. My note uh, is a little personal for me. Uh, was, that middle name bit actually hurt me. It like delved into Ooh. my soul. And I was just like, uh... the, the, I totally agree with you, Molly. I think here is where it's like, okay, cool. We had to push a rock up a hill and now this is like, okay, the rock is starting to gain some momentum down the hill. Um, but also the note about when they play two truths and a lie. So begins the running joke of Alexis's world travels, which is one of my yes. favorite aspects of the show. With An her, uh, which one is it this time? Oh, she like has to like, has to get out of a sticky situation by uh, bribing, by like luring a like, dude in Bangkok with sex or something like that and they're like clearly that's the lie and and Moyer just uh, Moyer just goes her eyes are blue <laughs> they're not green <laughs> and everybody's just fucking shocked I love that running joke and I, I I don't remember if we hear too much of it in the rest of the season I think they talk about like when she her other longest relationship was with a Saudi prince who basically held her hostage um mm-hmm. I would love to see that show anyway episode five episode five the cabin when Johnny and Moira use the mayor's cabin for the night, Alexis and David throw a party. Aha. Uh, like, like Johnny and Moira's storyline, really kind of cringe on David's storyline. Um, I really, I know that, that, again, it's another thing where it's like he kind of had to freak out for us to have any sort of like ground as to where he stands. But on the flip side, like he's really fucking uptight in this one and it's hard to watch. It's like, it's that kind of humor. It's like the meet the parents kind of humor where it's like, this is humor through conflict and it's not, it's humor through direct, aggressive and awkward conflict. And I'm not, that's not my thing. So like this episode, it kind of rubs me the wrong way. For me, and it's been a minute since I've seen this, obviously, because I just said that I haven't rewatched it since I watched it. But for me, this kind of gets to the heart of who David is. Like, yes, it's cringy, but David has such severe social anxiety that it makes sense to me that, and 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 he's my favorite character for this reason, that he has a way that he needs things to go. And when they don't go his way, he freaks out. And I find it very relatable and almost endearing in him. Um, so I, I do like that for him, though this is not my favorite episode. Um, I do appreciate that for him generally. And I think that this is the start of showing that with him. Because at first, it's like David's kind of an asshole and and all this stuff. But but as the season progresses, it becomes clearer that all of his his dickishness stems from a place of insecurity and anxiety. My note verbatim is oh my god oh my god a good episode oh my god i laughed yes <laughs> oh I was in such shock. hey i was in such shock it took so long rolling. to like do something that i liked so i was just like jesus <laughs> that makes me really happy episode six wine and roses 
Moira is hired to be a local winery's spokesperson, and David struggles with a health problem. Uh, again, another episode that will become iconic later on. David is 34? <laughs> mm-hmm. Fucking A. That's rich people, dude. I'm struggling with, like, how old Stevie is, because I never it's never quite said. Yeah, she's about the same. Yeah. Which is wild to me, because Stevie looks like... She's like, I don't think she went to college, but she would be like maybe a bit older than like I graduated college age. So it's like, uh, I did, I like did look up her age the other day. Well, I looked up her and then saw her age the other day. Yeah. Uh, 39. So, but like. It's crazy because I just have no idea when it comes to in in real life. I have no bearing on age. I'm just like, I'm terrible at it. I'm terrible at like guessing people's ages for the life of me. Uh, and so now with this show, I'm just like, wait a minute. How old is everyone? How old is Alexa? <laughs> but yes. The the Herb Erdlinger uh, commercial is a oft quoted and oft parodied piece. I'm bad at that. Um, but the, and also it doubles down on the whole notion of like clearly like while everyone else is having like their humorous responses to this David's actually having like panic attacks and like severe reactions to like the situation that he's in um, which honestly like in the moment I like just absorbed and was like yes keep telling me about this but like having sat here and analyzed it with you guys for just two seconds I'm like oh yeah no they're actually doing a lot with that and in an open and interesting and understanding way. I actually do like that they're like, no, those don't exist. We Celebrities fake that. And people have to tell them like, no, this right. is real. Also, we get introduced to Ted. I love Ted, even though he's kind of a dweeb this season. Um, anyway, uh, episode seven, Turkey Shoot. David joins some townies on a turkey hunt. Jocelyn and Moira have a spa day and Alexis meets Ted, the town veterinarian. Right, because we met him in the last episode, but we didn't know it was Ted. And then Alexis gets to meet Ted, and that's when we meet Ted. Ted, have for you real. met Ted? Shush. <laughs> what? Hush. <laughs> Why do I have Hush. to... That's a good reference. Hush. That was a good reference. This My biggest note for this one is, like, even though we've seen a lot of... We've seen a lot of humor from Moira at this point, um, and she's been like very much cracking her like very unique style of jokes. This is the first time where like Moyer's put in a situation where she could just be a complete asshole. And she's definitely dealing with a situation of like, I don't want to hurt her feelings, but this is, this really sucks. I really don't like, you know, this hairstyle, but I think this is our, for one of our first major proofs that like Moira is inherently a good person, despite her facade where she literally has enough, she has enough, like, growth to look at at Jocelyn and say, look, this looks great on you. This is perfect for you. I'm not judging this because it's you. I don't like this for me. And I wanted to make you happy. So I, that's why I went along with this. But yes, I don't really like this. This is not my thing. But I respect you. And that was, that's one of my favorite, like, Moira moments from this season. Well, we keep talking about the family. I want to talk about Jocelyn. This is a good Mm -hmm. episode for Jocelyn to have the nuance and the foresight of like, hey, so I just want to help get you prepared for all the stuff you may have to get used to doing Mm -hmm. if you get stuck here. Like, I think this is 
a very important episode for like that kind of idea. The idea that like, you know, for better or worse, some of the people in this town will go out of their way to be like, okay, you guys are shitty, but I mean, you're also in a shitty situation. Like at first, Stevie was kind of the only person consistently doing that. Mm -hmm. And now Jocelyn is also hopping on that train. Um, I really I think one of the biggest pros of the show, and this is consistent throughout all the seasons, is that relationships are never just flicks of the switch. Like they do a really interesting job of really like letting people from both sides of this conflict, like seep into understanding with one another over the course of the series, which is why it's so hard to get people like engaged right away is because you set up this this kind mm-hmm. of opposition of this elites versus mid middle America that everyone wants to pick at. Um, and, and maybe people don't want to listen to, but I think as they all experience what are relatively minor plots, like there's never anything that's way out there. Um, you know, this is not as absurd as like a Michael Schur show of like the good place or, you know, those kinds of things. Um, like really they're all like very basic plot lines where the people who they are contributes to the comedy, the conflict and the resolution and they the like growth is like a huge part of the show uh i had two notes one uh stevie's line of um she's basically like absolutely reading him like a book and one of the things that she says is colognes that smell like fireplace i just highlighted that (laughs) specific line it's such a specific takedown of david Um, <laughs> see, that's another thing I actually want to like speak to the to the positives of this show is that like similar to like Gene Belcher in Bob's Burgers, there is rewatchability to to these lines. Like there is stuff that when I watch an episode, every time I'm like, I never even realized that Alexis said that, and I find that really funny this time around. And so like that's a pro I want to speak to the show where it's like, TJ, I didn't remember that line at all, but now I remember it. I agree with all of that. I think that the the just the dialogue is so witty and um and the the fact that the premise is it has to delve into people it's like a it's a sitcom but it's not a sitcom they get into situations but for the most part it's about who they are yeah uh my second note is stevie and dave are my everything ah okay all right yeah i know i wanted i want to know what you mean by that but we'll get into it later Episode 8, Allez-vous. Moira and David try to sell cosmetics to the locals. Johnny tries to collect unemployment insurance. Not a noteworthy episode, honestly. Uh, The only thing I found particularly funny was the resolution. Yeah. uh, Where the entire town is just kind of humoring them and they go, we already did this. And Alexis just sitting there going, oh my god. Oh my god. Um, That's really the only funny thing about this episode. It's a pretty neat episode. I think that, I think that, not to steal your line, TJ, but like, I think that the, when you first started watching the show, you texted me being like, I'm a halfway through because this is sometimes it's the equivalent of like a TV show equivalent of a rice cake. And like, yeah, that's kind of what this episode is. I think it's a rice cake with jam on it. Some peanut butter. It's fu- I think it's funny. It's just like, this is, it is, it's pre. So I feel like this is maybe something that has to do with the whole season, but this episode too. Like, this is them putting them in situations, kind of like what I was just saying. This part is a sitcom, but when it really gets interesting is when it's 
about them and their story and like their character arcs and like when we get a plot. Yeah. But this is like clearly a one off, like they're gonna sell this stuff for an episode. Like the and never do the it again. end of episode yeah. nine through the end of the season is all like very much more connected than than this episode. Yes. Yes. Nine. Um Carl's funeral. Johnny agrees to speak at a stranger's funeral, the stranger being Bob's cousin? Brother. Or something? Bob's brother. 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 No, no, no. It, Wasn't it uh, Bob's cousin's Bob's, brother? Or some, Bob's brother. Something, something like that. Bob's yeah. brother something who weird. was married to Stevie's mom. So technically, like, those are her cousins. Oh, okay. That come to the wedding. Oh. Or come to the funeral. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and Alexis struggles with her boyfriend's love of animals. Johnny gets real scared. This, this isn't episode. my note, but... Well, yeah. Uh, this isn't my note, but, like... Was a little bit weird of like, and kind of for what they set up Ted to be. I'm like, is it not a little out of character that you would just, if your girlfriend is like, hey, I'm uncomfortable, you wouldn't just take the dog, like, just take the dogs out? Like, y- it doesn't bother you, but it's something that bothers your girlfriend. Like, that was just something for me, for me who. That's very sitcom logic. Yeah. Of just like. I'm just like, I feel like it'd be one thing if like Alexis was not trying to say anything and he was like, what's wrong? She's like, nothing, 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 nothing. Uh, And like just eventually like explodes like, you know, in that sitcom way that sometimes things can build up. But like here, Ted's just basically like, hey, it's fine, babe. Just deal with it. And I'm like, that. Doesn't seem like <laughs> doesn't seem like something you would do, but okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, that wasn't my note though. Uh, my note actually was like, I can't believe they actually earned this fucking romance. I'm stunned. Mm. <laughs> just you. I'm wait. actually just like, how did the? No, we'll get to that. You're talking about Stevie and David. Okay, I when I on my watch of this, yeah, I I rooted for this so hard. I was like shipping out the wazoo um they really did earn it for me they have (laughs) great chemistry they have awesome chemistry my one note about this episode is that like i kept i didn't remember this episode for the rewatch so i was like really interested like oh wait how does this one play out i would i half expected them to have a turn where it's like oh yeah he admired you because he fucking hated you um like he worked at a Rose video and then they fired him for something, something. I really expected like Carl to have some actual connection with Johnny. And when he didn't, I was kind of like, oh, well, oh, oh, OK. This felt like a lot of build up to Johnny just kind of freaking out. So in that way, I'm kind of like, eh, all right. Oh, and for transparency, it should be noted that I skipped most of Johnny's stuff uh, post halfway through the episode. I can't do that level of like cringe awkward comedy like that's just something that like if we ever do cover the office get used to oh tj kind of like <laughs> skipped a little bit through some <laughs> okay because uh, <laughs> like some things tj just can't do some things this is like ah look i get that you're all talented actors this was written by talented people i cannot watch this take it away from me <laughs> Uh, All right. But yeah. Episode 10, Honeymoon. Johnny and Moira go to Rollins' Hawaiian party. Alexis and Ted host a dinner party, and David and Stevie's relationship heats up. Uh, This episode has one of the most important bits 
Yeah, this has, um, I go back to this episode for meme content, but also just, like, to kind of encapsulate why this show is important to me. And it's um, two moments. One, when Moira and Johnny are at the cafe talking, and he's like, I thought that was a phase. And Moira just says, it's not a phase. And it's that's it. And then they just move on with their conversation. And then later, talking to Roland, when um, Johnny says my son is pansexual and Roland doesn't know what that means. And then they kind of talk about it. And then Roland just says, we can't tell our kids who to love. And it's just the fact so that it comes from Roland freaking beautiful. Um, and that they get to like the, the fact that those two couples yeah. get to have a stronger relationship after this episode is a foundation for the rest. Of the yes. Show. And, and this is like, this is the moment where the world that Dan Levy and Eugene Levy were trying to build kind of starts to blossom because they wanted to create a world in which even though we're in the middle of nowhere in middle America and it should be by all of our standards like a more a less accepting place um, than like liberal centrals of whatever they wanted to create a utopia where everybody was accepted and it just wasn't a problem and for me I think and like where people like are willing to learn and I feel like that is what happened here and this was the start of that and I love it well I also think the scene in the I think it's I think it was so well well handled like culturally and like and within the universe of them in the wine store when Stevie's in the wine store and was like until this import I only drink red wine. And until this point, I thought you also only drank red wine. And then he just addresses it. He's just like, yeah, this is just who I am. I, I like the wine. I don't like the label. Um, I sampled a rosé. I, I, like I sampled a called. Chardonnay that was once a Merlot. Um, you know, and that they're able to establish that in a, like, clever, um, in-universe makes sense, and really, like, positive and strong way is a major, like, building block of of you know the show and then on top of that you have all the back and forth between like uh maybe they should be just friends you know or is there lingering feelings you have all of alexis's bullshit um twyla fucking Mm -hmm. twyla for the rest of this season just like god damn girl get can she catch a break um tj your notes jesus ted what the actual fuck yeah yeah because Ted just like mm-hmm. truly that's the thing about Ted in the season. Like he truly is so removed from everybody in the, in like to start out. Like he hasn't really like come into the family in a way to where like he can kind of be that outside presence that's like poking at the bear. Um so yeah. Episode eleven, Little Sister. Moira's sister Dee Dee visits them unexpectedly. David talks to a student about them being <clears throat> different still kind of a kind of a hump it, it, like the, the the important things about this episode are really not the plot it's still the david and stevie like relationship going through these episodes um because like the only thing that is like a positive takeaway from this episode is moira having like the emotional intelligence to like understand her sister and know that it's like this is more complicated than it is and i don't you know i deserve a little bit of pride because she's not really giving us anything worth our time um which is a you know a dynamic that i experienced in my life so like i got that yeah i forgot about this episode 
<laughs> after watching it, TBH, it wasn't a standout to me, but um, I do remember the scene of David and the student talking, and I think it's very funny. Mm. This child is perfect, <laughs> and he is not to be harmed. Um, and he never comes back again. Damn it. <laughs> all right, so surprise party. Johnny wants to give Moira a surprise birthday party, but Moira ends up taking over all of the plans in classic Moira Rose fashion. I do like it in the in a sense that this is like, this is definitely a moment to really like kind of see who they are in a funny way. Because it's like, yes, of course, when you put Moira in that situation, she's just going to take it over. And then you have to have that moment of, oh, well, we have to tell her. Um, And they just get to go on little tiny adventures with each other in a positive way where nobody's really a strong antagonist or anything like that. And then at the end, you get to kind of address all the different things you've been building up over the past season between Alexis and Mutt and Stevie and David and... I like when Moira grabs uh, Johnny's butt at the end after seeing Ro- uh, Roland do it. I thought that was cute. <laughs> um, initially, I didn't like. It was just a lapse in my uh, brain of like I didn't write anything, any note for this episode, and I just continued on to the next one. And then I figured, oh, I will come back and like you know kind of skim through the episode, and I did before we started recording. But I'm realizing there's pro- there's a little bit of a reason that I didn't write anything. And it's kind of because like, I won't say nothing happens, but it's an episode where they set up a lot of little things. And I don't feel like most of them really do anything Mm -hmm. in this episode specifically, like Johnny and Alexis go to a place and she convinces him to shoplift some candles. And it's like, okay. And then that just ends. And I'm like, no, no. No, no, Shit's Creek. That's the setup for a thing. That can't just be the whole thing. Like, and there's like a couple different things like that. Like, and I'm not going to say that this episode has nothing of worth or anything because I think it's interesting that David goes out of his way to tell Moira because he doesn't like how Moira treated the townspeople. That's a sign of growth. Like, there are little things like that. And Moira, like you said, like, copying Roland and um, Jocelyn. Uh, I don't know why I blanked on her name real quick. But um, it's like, it's not that nothing happens, but it's like there's a lot more set up that I expected to go somewhere, and it just kind of didn't. I don't really know what that was about. Like it was just a thing of too many balls in the air, not enough time or what, but uh, yeah. So technically, I have no note on this episode. Okay. <laughs> episode 13, Town for Sale. Johnny finds a potential buyer for the town, and David and Alexis realize they've become attached to Shit's Creek. Is that accurate? Uh, it's just the fucking description they've, become, they they've become attached to the people yeah. in Shit's... They've become like, attached to the people. I feel like that's misleading, because Alexis has not become attached to Shit's Creek. She has a handcuff to Shit's Creek. That's really what's happening. Well, I think I think that's something that's happening that's super interesting and why remembering that this was the end of season one was interesting for me in that, like, they are given the opportunity after, like, several episodes of growth to revert. And then that gets uh, gives us an opportunity to be like, okay, what is the real you? Is it everything you've shown us this entire time? Or is it when you're given the opportunity to, to be this other person you choose to be? And I think that that's what everyone's reckoning with in the end. And I think that the reason, like, like the metaphysical reason that it all falls apart in the end is because 
they would have had that signature if Moira hadn't said go for a million. The dude could have been signed and done and then had the heart attack. And so, like, I think it's thematically important that that their new world falls apart, their new world or old world, going back to the old world, falls apart because they chose to be the people they started out as instead of the people they became. Um, like it, it's one of their, I think it's one of their lowest moments when they're trying to get a dead man to sign a contract because that's who you used to be. You're right. not letting mm-hmm. yourself be who you now are. And I think the closest person to having mm-hmm. that real realization is David at the end when he's running away in that he made an attachment to Stevie. He wants this person as a friend. He realizes that the rest of his world was fake not his friends, and as much as he wants to get out of this town that has no opportunities, he wants to keep that relationship so that he has something new and stable in the rest of his life. And that's where I think, that's why I think this is such an interesting cliffhanger to leave for the second season. It is interesting. Um, It does zero in on David as the main character for this season slash the next season, at least for me. Uh, He's my my main character um it's about all of them but it's years in on him and it does show that he has grown and he wants to carry that over but on the flip side asking stevie to up and leave her hometown with him is selfish Mm -hmm. and the fact that he just expects that she'll say yes shows that he still has a long way to go um and then of course running away is he's become He's been a baby. Um, he, he has nowhere to go. Uh, but I don't know. I feel like the entire season, Stevie's the only one that takes David seriously. And when you're constantly invalidated in your anxiety, I think I feel like this was the natural end point for this season. It's like, I mean, when I saw David leaving, I was just like, yeah. Oh, no, it made total sense. Absolutely. I mean, he... Yeah, my thing was just that I don't really... I only took issue with, like, the fact that, like... Like, I don't think David was, like, being a baby. That was, like, my own... No, right. that was harsh. That was yeah, harsh yeah. of me to say. Um, Plus, I understand at least where David's mindset was uh, in the sense of, like, Stevie is constantly talking about how she does not really want to be here she's only here because she's basically stuck here um so there was a little bit of like i at least understood where david was coming from and like you can just you can just come with me like and i think stevie is kind of doing the thing that i know i have factually done in my own life of like ah well you know new york is so different and weird and i don't know if i i don't i don't know how i'd fit in and it's like But where I'm self-aware of, like, kind of, I know why I'm saying these things. I know I'm not ready. Yada, yada, yada. Like, Stevie's fucking in her 30s. She's a self-reliant, independent woman. And, like, she absolutely could have gone to New York. But she didn't want to go to New York in that way. Mm -hmm. I don't think she wanted to go and be dependent on David. I think that Stevie has an excellent growth arc in this series and i am so excited for you to keep watching because i think that you will see that she is aware that she's doing those things and she does want to to not do them oh what a good character so uh let's talk about uh i think we've some i think we have fallen into a pattern of doing characters first so let's just keep going with that um 
Do you want to do most or least first? Let's start with uh, least. Alexis. Uh like I, it, it pains me to say that because like I like her throughout the show, but yes, in this season, Alexis, um, even though she gives plenty of great humor, her actions just make me go, cool. You're in the doghouse. Does it have to be out of the main no. characters no. or, um, I'm going to go with Mutt because he's just never been my, my favorite person. And I think that I just don't like him that much. That's he doesn't also do fair. Anything, yeah, he doesn't do really. Anything. He's just kind of, he's kind of an object. He's like a sexy mannequin. He doesn't have anywhere to grow. And that, again, <laughs> how many times can I say growth? Um, that's what this show's about for me. And so, like, I'm not interested in his growth. I'm not interested in it. So. That's fair. But, yeah, uh, this is not, this is very easy. My most valuable character is obviously Stevie. Stevie is the fucking best character in the whole fucking season. Stevie was, for the first couple episodes, was the only thing I was latching on to. I was like, no, don't, no, please don't go. No, 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 don't leave. Don't me leave me with these people. No. <laughs> yeah, Stevie, Stevie consistently is that for me. I mean, obviously in later seasons, David is more my main, my main focus. Um, and mm-hmm. Alexis has some moments too. And, and they all do, all of the roses do, but Stevie is a constant. So definitely Stevie for me. My, my. And I should note yeah. that David is like second. I think David's second for like everybody. In this case, I think David is our number two, close number two for everybody. I'm just going to say Moira. Moira made me laugh more than anybody else. And I also know the characters well enough down the line to where, like, it's a hard choice. So for the sake of just this being a one off episode where we may do another one, we may not. Whatever. Moira's my MVP for the season. Catherine O'Hara's performance as Moira Rose deserved that Emmy that they got when the season six finally dropped. Uh... So now highest and lowest rated episodes. Uh, I'm just going to start because it's difficult for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the lowest is easily the first episode because I don't think I cracked a smile once. Um, like I got the premise very quickly and I was just like, okay. And then none of the characters were interesting or funny and no jokes landed. And... I got the feeling that I liked Stevie, but I had no idea how long they were going to be in this setting. I had no idea how long Stevie was going to stick around. Uh, I had no idea how anyone was going to really, how they were going to progress. I had a feeling they were going to progress, and I will cover that in my notes as well. But uh, the lowest is easily the first episode, and highest is kind of a toss-up, like Trevor said that I said. This season's episodes were kind of like rice cakes for me in the sense that, like, look, I like me some rice cakes, some, like, caramel rice cakes. Like, I'll just, especially if they're bite-sized, I'll just pop them in, just, like, I'll eat the whole bag if you let me, uh, guilt-free. But, like, so they, they're fine, but it's like I was blazing through this season faster than I think I've done any show because there was nothing for me to like, because usually I stop shows because I'm like, all right, I'm good for the day. I didn't stop these episodes because I'm like, I kind of, I, I want something. You got, you got to give me something. You got to give me, no, that's not good. 
No, I think that's what their intention is, though. I think they're like, you want to learn more. No, it's not in the sense of like, they're interesting, so give me more. It's the sense of like, I don't have resolute. I, I need. I need something. But you kept watching. That's the important part. <laughs> well, you part. had to. To be honest, I kept watching because of the podcast. Yeah, I, I had to. <laughs> In fact, um, if TJ ends but... up watching another season of this and liking it, it will be strictly because of the podcast. So. Yeah. Because, spoiler alert, I have watched the season premiere of season two just to see if any of my things were answered in a satisfying way. And uh, my highest rated episode, uh, I guess just from the sense of like how well it's written and like how well it's composed, I guess I have to say the last episode of the season because I think they very, it was like they built on the rest of the season well. They built on the backs of previous episodes very well, and some things were kind of, like, they tied ends effectively, but also didn't tie them very tightly, because they knew they were going to undo them again, and David driving off into the night, while it's not the cliffhanger I necessarily wanted, it is a valid cliffhanger, in the sense of, like, it sets up the next episode to be really good, potentially. Potentially. Ugh. Uh, so, yeah, dick. that's me. <laughs> uh, I, I, have, I mean, I do think that about myself, yes. I have two, uh, I have two ties. Um, lowest rated would probably be episode two and episode five for the reasons I stated. Um, I think that the cringe is the highest in episode two because everyone's still like being users and talking down and, and talking through people. Um, and so it's like it's like really getting them up to that top of that peak to start the, the roll back down. And episode five, again, just because like the game night, the game night dynamic, I can't do. It was really hard for me, even though like, yes, it introduces a very fundamental thing. I can't do it. Highest rated tie between, again, like TJ said, the the finale and episode 10, The Honeymoon, like I said. Um, I think those are the two of the the best orchestrated plots and character growths and, uh, you know, moments of connection between the family w- sprinkled in with all the humor in the way that Schitt's Creek does humor. Molly. Mm-hmm. This is so hard. <laughs> I don't know if I can pick a lowest rated. Um... I think that probably episode eight with the cosmetics might be my lowest rated just because I don't care too much. Um, But it was all so funny. So I don't know. Um, And then, you know, I was obviously everything that we've said, Town for Sale, Honeymoon, those are great, beautiful episodes. I think... That just for the sake of argument, I'm going to say Wine and Roses, episode six, because for me, that was the turning point where I was like, now I'm hooked. Now I get what they're trying to do. It's it's my sense of humor, and I kind of like these characters, and I, I like seeing David grappling with all of what he's grappling with. Um, so Wine and Roses, number one. The hook brings you back. 
one of my notes that I think kind of checks a bunch of different other notes, smaller, more specific notes, is sometimes I wish the show went just a teeny bit more absurd. Like, okay, you get that because there's kind of there's kind of like this weird. There's kind of like this weird thing where you can be an extreme over here or you can be an extreme over here, but when you're in the middle, I don't like you. It's like if you're on I, I, on opposite end, either opposite end of the extreme, I start to like you a little bit more because then it starts to be funny how ridiculous it is. And I can start to at least just laugh at that or just admire the actors of how crazy things are getting or admire the writers because they wrote this ridiculous scenario. And when it's in the middle and it's a little bit more grounded and it's a little bit more realistic, that's when it's more difficult for me to like, like you. Um, So I think that this is what results in me kind of clinging to Stevie and David, because if you're going to be more in the middle like that, well, now I'm just going to like the nice people because now you're kind of mean in a too real way. Like, I kind of need you to, like, spiral a little bit more for me to kind of like it. It's the Seinfeld thing of, like, Seinfeld is about truly regular people doing abs- insanely terrible things. But it's the absurdity that makes that work because if it were more realistic, it would kind of, too much shine that spotlight on like, well, yeah, if they're not likable, I don't know why I would like them. I'm doing too much work to like this character. Um, But the way that the show is now, like, yeah, I see that David, because David is a nice example of like, he is shitty, but he's not trying to be shitty. And I feel like the other three are... And if that's not the case, then I have to question the writing because like David never feels like he's actively trying to be malicious towards anyone. This is just who he is. And he will willfully put himself in positions like the turkey shoot where he does not have to be there, but he wants to be there to do a specific thing, to prove something. And it's like because of that, the characters meet him halfway and they're kind of nice in their own way to him and the situation is funny and it's allowed to breathe because like the characters are meeting each other halfway in that regard where there's this like bizarre kinship in this moment and that would never work with any other character because every other character is actively being pretty nasty to some people or actively trying to cheat certain people or actively trying to pull the wool over certain people's eyes. So it's like, I I think you're, I think you're taking that a one step too far in terms of the act, the actively. I don't think anybody's actively trying to do anything. That's what I saw. I see. I could see that for, um, Alexis. Yeah. That's about it. In this season. Maybe. 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 And I think Alexis is, I think Alexis, I think there's a part of Alexis that is like part of our, part of the performance of Annie Murphy, where it's like, yeah, you know, you're going to be a shithead and fucking cheat. Like, you know, you're going to cheat. You know, this is bad. You know, this is wrong, but you don't care. And that's where she's bad. That's where I get that. She's like, yeah, she's doing this regardless of the fact that she knows. I think she's, and likely, you know, you could chop that up to being like, yeah, she's probably done this a lot. 
she's probably done this many times in her life and knows it's bad, but doesn't quite understand the, the vastness of it. But I mean, either way, I think I think it would be kind of a waste of time to kind of go back and forth on like the whys of whether or not David and, and Moira are. Um, do you have any other like longstanding notes before we get to like the reject or renew? Because I, I have a a note that goes with my reasoning for what, I, what why I'm saying what I'm saying. Sure, go ahead. OK, cool. Um, so sorry, bud. Um, so no matter what, this is going back in the draw in the draft, um, mainly because despite everything that you've said, um, I do know that many of the notes that you had get better. Um, and I think that this, again, not even not even like in a in a in a in a way of like mm, TJ should watch this because it would help TJ. No, I just think that a lot of the notes that you're giving actually do get resolved um, in, in, you know, in the coming seasons. And I think that you see a lot of growth and a lot of introspection from the characters that you want it from. I think you see people get more on David's level in the way that you like David in the rest of it. And then also, I think one thing that I like that I think is a good sticking point. Stupid truck. I think one thing that I like that's a good sticking point as to why this is so different than maybe some of the other sitcoms that are on this list is that there is no pretense that anybody is a good person. I think when we talk about some of our favorites from growing up, like Friends or How I Met Your Mother, there is this sitcom pretense that our heroes and our gang are all good people. And then as we get older and watch it again, we pedagogue, like we, we slowly peel away. It's like, oh no, actually they're shitty to Phoebe or, oh no, Barney's actually shitty and Robin's actually shitty and Ted's actually shitty. Um, you know, Ross has always been shitty. Why didn't we see it before? I think this is a show that because it's so much point, like so much of it is a high status people going to low status and growing because of it, that it immediately flips that script where we don't have to pretend that anyone is better than who they are in that moment. And they're only going to get better. So here's the thing with that. I already understood all that. Okay. I still have these notes with that knowledge. Um, That's kind of why I had the note of like, I kind of wish things were a little bit more absurd because then I would love the chaos. I think they will and they won't. That's kind of where I'm at. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying that things need to go insane. Right. I'm just saying, like, there were some scenes where I was kind of waiting for not really the punchline, but, like, I'm like, okay, when does this comedy scene start to get funny? And then the scene ends, and I'm like, oh. When does the other shoe drop? Yeah. Um, like, one example that's coming to mind is, like, Moira talking to the kids, and I'm like... I kind of thought this would go crazier, but I don't need to like, I don't need anyone to yell. I don't need for like anything to be like, for like, you know, police to run in or like, you know, things like that. But I'm saying like, I thought the situation would get more bizarre and I don't think it did. And that's like a lot of the scenes in the season for me is just like, I think that they will get bizarre enough for your standards in future seasons. Um, And I think that everyone who loves this show unanimously agrees that season one is the slowest. So I just have hope for you. But that's the thing. I feel like you guys are talking about the series because you kind of can't really help it. But I have to talk about season one 
And that's not to say that because I believe everything you're saying. I don't disbelieve any of it. I believe that the series only gets better from here. But just looking at season one, I feel like there is a lot of untapped potential. For sure. Um, and it's not even that I ended the show, the season thinking it was bad. I ended the season yearning for them to like, okay, just, I need you to go further for me. Um, that's why I went ahead and watched the first episode of season, excuse me, season two to see like how they would capitalize on that cliffhanger and I wasn't exactly filled with confidence, but, like, again, I think the series is fine. This is not me, like, hating on the series. But season one has a lot of flaws. I will put it that way. It's, like, not great for me personally. Um... Like, I'll renew it because I know it's the same reason I've renewed something like Buffy, who I actively hated, like, way more. Okay, <laughs> that's, true. that's a strong word. That's but, like, I didn't like, I didn't like a lot more than Shit's Creek, but I still renewed it because I'm like, they can still save it. It's not beyond, it's not beyond, like, saving. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only show that we've rejected so far, Fresh Prince, we gave two chances before we rejected it. And both times we were like, okay, this is okay. This is good. I need you to top this. And then we did it again with the second season. We're like, we need you to keep getting better. And when it didn't, that's when we were like, all right, let's wrap it up. Let's pack it in. I'm not at that point with Shit's Creek. I'm like, I just, I know where you're starting. I know where you're coming from but I need more from you now. Um, so I will renew it. Ooh. But with that constructive criticism of like, you know, when you can literally take two characters of your ensemble show and just go, can I just watch these two and just, I don't really care about anybody else. That's kind of bad for me. Like, I think that's still very much. That's a thing where I need to speak up in this moment. I think other people would argue that they couldn't have the show without everything. You know, I am. I mean, it is. It is your podcast. It's my vote. <laughs> okay. All right. Cool. So, Shit's Creek gets What's renewed. Our podcast. I mean, yeah. I know. But I, Hooray! Hooray! So now for TJ's favorite part. All right. So of course that brings us to the uh, Red Team Reviews draft. This draft is going to have slightly different implications. We have a different thing we're going to do to close out this season. Uh, in July. So the winner of this draft will actually be September's show. So <laughs> long walk to a short drink of water. Like, d- yeah, don't expect <laughs> us to like immediately cover it. So how this works, we have a lovely list that has uh, 60 shows, 20 shows in three different categories. We have comedy, drama, drama, drama slash action and animated uh, we will do a random show from each of those categories, and then we will take uh, the winner of the fan poll, which uh, was very drastically tied up. So we let our lovely guest, uh, Miss Molly Burdick, uh, break that tie, which we already know what it is, but you don't. So hang tight. <laughs> and we will also then 
decide which of our shows that we've already reviewed might get renewed. Uh, the fan vote will get two entries into this draft. Uh, so you'll see what that looks like in just a bit. But let's get our random comedy pick first. So we will need a D20, and I will roll it here online. It is a 10. Ooh. And now the number 10 comedy show is, oh my fucking God, yes. Yes, I don't care about anything else. I don't care about any other show. I want this show to win and no other show because the winner of the comedy random selection is Golden Girls and everything Ah. else is invalid. (laughs) I need it. I need it. We rarely, TJ, we rarely (laughs) get the one we want in this draft. Let's be real. No! No, that's not true. I did want Infinity Train. All right. I did want Infinity that's Train. All right. That was the only time of the seven times we did, we've done this. We didn't have any animated. All right. Okay. So that's we will drag. roll again for our drama slash action. And that, wow, is also 10, which is supernatural. That's oh. interesting. I'm not happy about that. <laughs> I am, on the flip side, the one that Molly is tie-breaking, I will, like, ride to the end of the show. But Supernatural, I will not put up with renewing. We will do it. I will reject it. Imagine, imagine having to stick with Supernatural to the end. No. All right, let's animate it. All right, so... That's our comedy. That's our drama slash action. Now, for our animated show, we have a a Nat 1, which is Batman the Animated Series, motherfuckers. Holy shit. This is a good lineup so far. We need to add Harley Quinn Uh, to that list at some point, (laughs) because we need to address the whole do superheroes give it uh, debacle. Because um, they do, dude. You Fuck mean off. you? You mean Obviously. to ask? Uh, do they eat the pussy? Um, <laughs> oh, I did not realize you're gonna go. You were gonna go that direct. Okay. Oh yeah, when I heard you, when I heard you, uh, <clears throat> foot around the word, uh, I needed to go out of my way. <laughs> okay. All right. So, hey, Mal. Yeah. Yes, the show that gets two slots is The Good Place, yes. the best show on television, aside from Shit's Creek. The two aside best from shows Avatar on television. The Last Airbender. Direct opposite of Supernatural, I will ride this thing to the end. And it only is four seasons, so it won't be that difficult for everyone. So for the renewed shows, we have Friends, mm-hmm. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, yes. Infinity Train, yes. which I almost forgot, and now Shit's Creek. Correct. So that actually fits a four-sided die. Hey! hey. <laughs> Those weird triangles. In that order, remember that order, because I'm rolling a four-sided die, and it is... <sighs> God. All right, so we got all our contestants here. Uh, let's go so ahead and uh, assign numbers it's to Buffy. them. Uh, no, no, it, no, it shits. It shits oh, okay, quick, all right, whatever. Because I know you guys are going to lose it. I know you're going to... No, I know you guys are going to be excited. Just be excited. (laughs) I know you're horribly biased. End the podcast. I keep saying... Literally, every episode in the past month, I've just been like, end the podcast. All right. So, to recap, we have Golden Girls as number one. 
We have Supernatural as number two. We have Batman the Animated Series as number three. Good Place is number four and five because it's the winner of our fan vote, technically. And uh, six is Shit's Creek. So we will roll a D6, and it is Shit's Creek. Okay. <laughs> so we just get to keep on this train. All right. Okay. Hell yeah. Hey, rice cakes for dinner. All right. Wow. Rice cakes for dinner. I'm not even upset about watching Shit's Creek. I just, I, it was it your be- guys' reaction to it- Shit's Creek. <laughs> <laughs> you set us up. I feel like it's more that, like, you wanted everything else in the draw and it, you just didn't get it. <laughs> like, you were cool with everything else in the draw. I didn't watch Supernatural. Only- oh, well, yeah. But at least that would have been funny. <laughs> I didn't watch Supernatural either. It would have been funny if we got <laughs> yeah. it. Um, so, yeah. But now you get to dive right back in to read... I meant to watch the rest of Shit's Creek. I mean, the next season of Shit's Creek. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, so, yes, uh, we do have to uh, get rid of Molly here. So, uh, Molly, thank you so much for putting up with us and uh, <laughs> uh, gushing about Shit's Creek. Uh, Anytime. Always, always a pleasure to have you on. Happy to talk about Shit's Creek every day, all day. Uh, there is a chance we will see Molly again if we do talk about more Star Wars stuff. Uh, <laughs> she just dabbed. Uh, yes, unfortunately, she did just dab. Uh, so, yeah, if you know, look forward to that in September. Like I said, we are not doing this in July. So, if you want to reach us, uh, we are at Red Team Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. You can check out check out the website, redteampod.com if you yourself would like to vote on future Reject or Renew uh, candidates and Molly, where can they reach you? You can find me on the interwebs at uh, on on Twitter. You can find my podcast anywhere at Pod and Prejudice, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook dot com, as in Pod and Prejudice dot com, not Facebook dot com, but you get it. Uh, and my personal Twitter is Young Cornship, and uh, don't ask me why. And my Instagram is BB8. Thank you for that. Huzzah. Um, they also, uh. their merch makes me want to get us merch that no one will buy. Um, but I bought their merch for Pod and Prejudice and it's very nice. So check that out. Um, and, you know, maybe, so glad that maybe you like we'll it. get merch just so I can buy it. Um, <laughs> I'll buy all of our merch. It was super easy to set up. All right. So uh, jam-packed episode. Uh, anything else from you, Trev? No. All right. So... Until next time, uh, next week we will be struggling. So, until then, uh, (laughs) we'll catch you guys on the next edition. Oh, God, yes. Look at what we've done Uh, across the new divide. That's your your, Uh, your hint, everybody. Bye. (laughs) Bye Bye-bye.